Okay, well, we're going to continue with our <coughs> devoted series today. That's what we're talking about, devoted. And this series is foundational for us as a church, for us to be the kind of people that we want to be as a church. We want to be a devoted group of people, passionate for God, pursuing him and his kingdom wholeheartedly without inhibition. That's passion. That's what we call passion. That's one of our distinctives, one of our cultural values. We call it passion. And so we're looking at the foundation of passion, really, in talking about devotion, what it means to be devoted to God. And passionate people, quite simply, are those who are devoted to God. So if you're devoted to God, you will be passionate. If you're devoted to a football team, you'll be passionate. But what a waste of time. Why not be devoted to Jesus? You know, I see people get more excited at football games than they do in church. What a waste of time. I'm not a great football lover, as you can tell. Anyway, I've just made a load of enemies. Um, Passionate people are those who are devoted to God. So I want to ask you, are you devoted to him? Because this is, this is a continual decision. It's just not a once-in-a-lifetime event. We need to decide every day, offer ourselves to him daily. Offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice daily. Are you devoted to him every day? Has he got your heart? Has he got your life? Has he got your attention? Because as we've been seeing, he is completely and utterly devoted to you. Never for a moment, never for a shadow of a second is his devotion in you going to wane. He's for you. Isn't that amazing that the God of this universe is for you? He's not against you. Wonderful. And he even delights over you, as Paul was showing us last week. He has pleasure in you. I wonder this week, have you just sat and meditated on that fact that God has pleasure in me? Isn't that an amazing thought? Listen, I just want to say something to you. There's some stuff to get excited about, and it's okay to be excited. (laughs) And, you know, I really would love your encouragement today. A little amen, a hallelujah, or preach it, brother. I don't mind what it is, but I want to preach with you, not at you, all right? So I just want to stir you up it. Amen? Do you agree with me? Is anything I'm saying to you making any sense? Okay, I'm on one today. Do you know, I, uh, we got a puppy this week. Oh, my goodness. And I was just sitting in my office this morning, shaking my head, saying, Lord, what have we done? And then I just felt like the Holy Spirit chuckle with me and he says you see I like to have fun I invented puppies (laughs) how about a God like that he's devoted to you and he likes to have fun with you no that's not in my talk I just felt like that was a good thing to say yeah thank you (laughs) being devoted to God means that there are things that we will do, values that we will have which express our devotion to him. And this is a key one that I want to share with you today because it means being devoted to what he says. Being devoted to God means that we are devoted to what he says. We are devoted to the word of God. I wonder if you've thought recently about the significance and the importance of the word of God. You know, everything that matters to us, I don't know if you realize this, that God says a lot about everything that matters to us. You think of anything 
Creation. How did it happen? The universe. I don't understand it. Our lives. The future. Heaven. Sin. Death. His words, Paul says, are breathed out through scripture. It's the very breath of God. Have you ever thought about that? This is the very expression of the breath of God. Breathed out. His scriptures are breathed out. And this means that there's got to be more than an intellectual appreciation of what we read. This is more than just a a historical book. These words are life to us. So it's like this breath, think about this breath. We breathe in what he has breathed out. And they are are as essential to us as breathing. We live by them in and out. We breathe in, we breathe out. It happens all the time. And that's the picture of scripture that Paul wants us to have here. Scripture is breathed out so that we live by the words of God. And so Jesus just comes on the back of that and he says, man shall not live by bread alone. We're not going to live just in a material world. It's not enough for us. That's not how God's created us. We live, he says, on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how we live. Breathed out. We've breathed out and breathed in. We've taken a breath. We've taken life from every word that is spoken to us. And it's not just our lives that depend upon this word either. According to Hebrews, the whole universe is sustained by his word. Now, I'm not a scientist, but my understanding is is that scientists still cannot explain how the atom holds together. Well, it's in the Bible. The whole world, the whole universe is sustained, held together by the word of his power. So it's important. It's significant. His word gives life, sustains life, and is life itself. And again, the Hebrew writer tells us, for the word of God is alive and active. It's alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's alive. The word of God, it's alive. It's active. It's powerful. I'll have an amen. Amen. Praise God. I wonder if we really have appreciated the significance and the importance of the word of God in our lives, or have we become a little bit too familiar? You know, in places around the world, they can't get the Bible. But we have so many, we don't know what to do with them. And if you've forgotten your Bible, you just look it up on your phone. I tell you, if you didn't have the word of God and you would die for a scrap of a scripture just to hold it in your hands, it would be like bread to you. It would be more than life to you. I think we've become complacent with the word of God. We don't understand the significance. I mean, perhaps already you're beginning to think, I really ought to read the Bible a lot more than I do. But, you know, devotion to the word of God isn't just about reading the Bible or how much we study it. Because, you know, just reading this breath, this this life of God isn't enough. Just reading it's not enough. I mean, there are many people who read the Bible and are never changed by it. They might even read the Bible through in a year every year, but they've never been shaped by it. They've never become a servant of it. It's never lived in them. It's never lived for them or through them. 
You know, even studying the Bible is no guarantee of devotion. Academics in universities across the world study the Bible. Some even teach theology. But unless you have a relationship with the one who wrote it, the one who breathed it out, I mean, how can you possibly understand it? You know, in the words of the fictional rabbi, it's hard to love and respect what you're taught to dissect. It's hard to love and respect what you're taught to dissect because too easily we can miss in our study the wood for the trees and we get the wrong end of the stick and I'm missing my metaphors and everything. Thank you. Now, to be devoted to the word of God has got to be about something more, than, more significant than religious observance. You know, the word of God has to govern our lives. It has to shape our whole worldview because if it doesn't, we get ourselves into all kinds of mess. You've only got to look through the book of Kings to see it. I'm reading through the book of Kings. You might have worked that out by now. Uh, with some things I've been saying recently. I've been reading through the ups and the downs. I mean, it's a depressing and exciting, depressing and exciting read all the way through these two nations of Israel and Judah. And you can see the consequences almost lived out chapter by chapter of, of not or indeed paying attention to the word of God. Whether it's central or whether it's not, you see the difference in how the nation works. And you see there are consequences for abandoning, abandoning the word of God. And I, I've just been struck by the, the, the story of King Josiah. I mean, he came into his kingship at a very young age. I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but you can read it yourself. I'm just going to summarize it. It's in one, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. Josiah, he was only eight years old when he became king. And, and the future, quite frankly, didn't look great for him. The two previous kings, his brothers, had lasted for no more than a couple of years each because they'd been assassinated. I mean, yikes. Imagine coming into your new job like that. The old guys didn't do so well. We killed him. You know, that was the whole tone, the whole flavor of what he walked into. And he was only eight years old. And the consequences of their abandonment of the word of God were seen everywhere. The whole nation was corrupt. Their culture was corrupted in the extreme. It was full of idol worship. It was full of pagan practices. Even child sacrifice was going on there. Immorality was promoted through powerful sexual cults. And murder was everywhere. As I said, even in the palace where you'd hope you were safe. Now, we don't know how Josiah survived this toxic mess, but we do know that it was when he was around 16 years old, it says that he began to seek the Lord. We don't know why he did this. No, perhaps he was just feeling the weight of the responsibility and he turned back to the annals of the kings and was inspired by the story of David and his greatness. And maybe he saw something in that and he started to pursue the God of David. Or maybe it was the heroic stories of Solomon and the wisdom that he had across the world that people would come to him to hear his words. Maybe there's something in those stories. But I wonder if it wasn't just that he'd just become disillusioned with everything that he'd seen. I mean, how many of us know that the world in the end loses its taste? It becomes disillusioning when we see the shallowness of it. When we see that it's all image and glitz and it's not real. And I wonder if it was something of that. He'd seen all this, he'd heard all this, and he was in despair. 
at the state of his nation and his heart was moved and he began to turn to the Lord. And what he did, we don't know why, but he, he, he said to his servants, I want you to start be, get, rebuilding the temple of the Lord. Get that back in the heart of our community. Start with that. Let's just start by rebuilding. Don't worry about the expense. I'm paying. <laughs> I don't want any estimates or quotes or dodgy builders. Just go and get it done. Rebuild that. And it was in the process of the rebuilding that one of the priests of the Lord discovered, hidden away, no doubt in a drawer somewhere gathering dust, the word of the Lord, the law of God. And he brought it to the servant of uh, Josiah. He was called Shaphan. And Shaphan, he read it. He thought, I've got to read this to the king. He goes into the king. He says, listen, you've got to hear this. He begins to read the word of the Lord to Josiah. And Josiah's response is, he stands and he's distraught. He tears his robes and he begins to cry out and repent to God for his own sin and that of his nation. He repents in tears. And when he's 20 years old, he begins to purge the nation of its foreign gods and evil practices. He removes the high places of pagan worship and child sacrifice and he rededicates the nation to God. And for his reign, that nation is pucker. <laughs> I mean, it is a pucker nation while he's in charge. And the book goes on to praise King Josiah's reign. It says, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him. He turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all of his soul and with all of his strength. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? In accordance with all the law of Moses. I love that. Josiah is so highly esteemed, he even appears in the genealogy of Jesus. How amazing. The nation had turned its back on God and neglected his word and it was a mess. But then God begins to work in the heart of his leader. Oh, that God would do that again. We need that again, don't we? I can't help but read this and be distraught for my own nation. When I see the confusion of people, when I see the lack of leadership, who's doing what and whatever, the immorality, the lack of direction. Oh, that God would do that again. I think we're seeing the consequences all around of us of a people that have lost their way with no moral compass. And it's like the word of God is hidden from them and needs to be rediscovered for a whole generation. But guys, it's not just in the world. There's been surveys done recently. I'm not going to bother with them right now. But there's a survey done of church-going people who have no clue what's in the Bible. It's even in the churches that the word of God is being abandoned. So what hope is there for our nation? You know, we pray for revival to see our nation transformed. But, you know, as I've been thinking this week, I wonder how much it just starts with this. Rediscovering the word of God. Rediscovering its centrality and significance in our lives. I mean, how many people know that revival starts with the church anyway? (laughs) Did you know that? We want God to change the nation, but it starts with changing you. It says in Peter, he says, for it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. Surely not. And it begins with us, just in case you missed it. What will be the outcome for those? If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the word of the Lord? 
We've got the word of the Lord. We've got it. It's living in us. We are extravagant with the word of God. We've got, how many Bibles have you got in your house? How many different versions can you access? How much more serious is it for us if we don't get hold of the word of God in our lives? And I want to ask you this question. This is about devotion. This is a serious question. I want to ask you, does the word of God need to be rediscovered in your life? Is it time for you to go into the temple of the Lord, go into that drawer, pull it out and get it again, start to eat it and drink it and live off it? I want to ask you that question in all seriousness. I want to ask you, how important is the word of God to you? How has it shaped your thinking and governed your worldview? I just feel like this is a time for rededication in so many different ways. Devotion to God, devotion to the word of God. There's a seriousness in what God is doing amongst us. And I think we need to develop a biblical worldview. As we look at things around us, increasingly our nation is unstable and uncertain. We need to have something to say. (laughs) We need to be able to reassure, it's okay, God's got this in hand. It says so in his word. Can I have any amens for that? Do you agree? Uh, You know, a key time in my preparation for leadership was, it wasn't the easiest time uh, working with my dear friend, who I love with all my heart, Jonathan Bell. It was challenging, I've got to tell you, because we're so different. We're so different. Paul knows we work together with Jonathan. And you see, Jonathan is a very gifted theologian. He's a Bible teacher. And me, quite honestly, when I first met him, I was a bit flaky. Well, quite a lot flaky, actually. I was definitely more of the prophetic spirit man. And I would just drift around with whatever was happening at the moment. And he was definitely a word man. And so the word and the spirit came together. And that sounds great, but it's not always easy. How do you bring those things together? I came from this experiential prophetic worldview and I went in with all kinds of ideas about what we should believe and how things should be done. I would make my views clear, my arguments strong. I mean, I've got legal training, for goodness sake. I know how to do that. And I was completely surprised by his response. He wouldn't argue with me. He wouldn't argue. He wouldn't even try to persuade me. He was so gracious with me, it was annoying. Jonathan, and if you know me, he's the gentlest, loving man. I love him to bits, seriously do. He would just nod encouragingly and say, that's great, Rob. But what does the Bible say about that? Oh, what does that matter? (laughs) Or he would say things like, you may be right, but I'm not really sure about that. So can you show me where it says that in the Bible? (laughs) No, I can't. (laughs) And so on. And frustratingly, he kept bringing me back to the Bible in everything. You know, even in the sermons that I was writing and trying to convince him to let me preach. Yes, but what does the Bible say? Does that matter? It's a really good preach. It's a really good message. What does the Bible say about that? 
And working with him, I can see, was a crucial turning point in my life. You're relieved. I can hear the relief <laughs> in the laughter. Uh, yeah. Because I began to in, discover through that process the, the importance of partnering the Word and the Spirit together. You know, through Jonathan's help, I began to develop a more biblical worldview. The Word of God. Not my feelings or even my experiences began to shape what I believed. You know, I'm so glad that in the church here we're so rich with the mixture as well. We've got some really gifted theologians and Bible teachers amongst us. We've got people who are are much more word-thinking than me. They're much better theologians than me and they'll check me, they'll challenge me. You know, what I say or think, people will question and encourage. Isn't it great to have that mix amongst us? I'm so grateful Oh, don't worry, by the way, I push back as much as I get pushed. I've got my own question that floors the word, people. Here it is. Yes, but where is the revelation in that? Great teaching, but where's the revelation? Bring me the revelation. Whoa, we have some fun with that one. A Simon. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. uh, But no, this works... The word and the spirit together so that we build well and are balanced because we are intentionally, as a church, spirit and word. And being devoted to the word God means that we take it seriously and and it shapes our thinking around what it says. But it also means that when we read it, we expect to feel the Father's breath on the back of our necks. Word and spirit. Word and spirit. Where's the revelation? Where's the understanding? Let's bring those things together. And I believe, I really believe that in this series on devotion and being devoted to the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit wants us to fall in love with the Word of God all over again. I I want us to dust it off and, and learn how to shape our thinking and our worldview by what it says. Okay, is that all right with you? I want us to fall in love with that again. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to fall in love with the word of God, because that's what devotion is about, falling in love. It's not about legalistic obligation. It's about falling in love with the word of God. So for the rest of our time, I want to take you through a series of stats that I hope will help you. We're going to get practical now. Now, whenever you build a set of steps, see, I'm a really good DIY man, as you know. (laughs) Can I hear some encouragement? I'm really not a very good DIY man. But one of the things I've learned is that when you build a set of steps, you've got to start with a good foundation because otherwise you can build the most amazing steps, but if the foundation isn't there, they fall down. And when you're going up steps, you want to make sure that they're strong. So the foundation is this. The foundation is decide now on the importance and centrality of the word of God. Decide now. Just decide that if you need, if you really feel like I have neglected it, I haven't seen it, just repent right away. Decide now. Come back onto that safe foundation. So I'll just give you a moment to do that. Say, Lord, I haven't valued your word like I should. Just see that. Maybe you just want to get your Bible out and dust it off a bit and say, Lord, I'm going to take this more seriously. Do a prophetic action. Just bring it out before you say, Lord, I'm going to get into this word with your help. That's the foundation. 
the importance and significance of the word of God. Amen. And as we've seen, the word of God is a living thing, (laughs) which is also life-giving. We can't live without it. The universe is sustained by it. So we need to learn how to prioritize it in our lives. And we need to decide. Here's another decision. I'm, I'm deciding today, Lord, that I want to cultivate a biblical worldview. And I don't really understand what that means at the moment. <laughs> but that's what I want to do. If that's what devotion to the word of the Lord means. I'll tell you what it means. It means that what the Bible says is more important than what anybody else says. That's what it means. That's a biblical worldview. Even if, as Paul says in one place, an angel of God or some other mystical experience says different, what the Word of God says is more important. Now, I want to just explain that a bit because I am prophetic and I get that kind of tension. And it doesn't mean then that we don't validate some of those more out there experiences. I could tell you some. But we hold those experiences lightly and we hold tightly to the general principles of Scripture. Let me just tell you a story to help to illustrate that. So there was a couple who came to us from another church and they'd been asking God uh, about their issue of being unable to conceive. They wanted to have children and they tried so many times, tried all kinds of things and it just wasn't happening. And they, and they just felt to come share it with us and get us to pray with them. And as I was praying with them, I just felt the Holy Spirit just tell me that there was a curse working in the family. Now, I know what the Bible says, and an undeserved curse cannot rest, and I've got all kinds of questions about what I've said to them theologically, okay? But that's what the Holy Spirit, I felt, say to me. There's a curse working in the family. So I did a bit of a, an interview. I said, is, is there any of this? Is there any of that? Is there any stuff that you've kind of brought down or whatever? No, it's nothing. Got a really good pedigree. <laughs> I said, well, is there anything in your house? So we went to visit them in their house. I couldn't feel anything, sense anything. Maybe I just got it wrong. I don't know. And we kind of left it at that. I thought, well, Lord, that's what you put in my heart. I'm just going to have to leave it at that. I think it was quite shortly after, maybe a week later, that the wife woke up in the middle of the night feeling disturbed. She went downstairs and suddenly she said, this compulsion came on me to pull the tiles off the wall of the kitchen. So she said, I I I went and got a hammer and I just started banging at these tiles and pulling them off the wall. Husband's very gentle and mild. He didn't seem to mind. As they pulled the tiles off the wall, they could see a whole line of horrible witchcraft signs through the middle of the wall written in curses. They didn't understand what they said, but they were curses. And so they, they took those off. They removed, I think there were other tiles, actually. Uh, there's tiles on tiles, that's right. They took the other tiles off, threw them out. Within weeks, they'd conceived. Guys, I can't understand the theology of what the Holy Spirit led me to do. So I take the experience lightly. I don't say every time somebody can't conceive, oh, there must be a curse then because it worked last time. Take the experience lightly, but I do try to follow what the Holy Spirit is saying. That's, so that's the specific 
experience, the general principle is we follow what the Holy Spirit says. And how many people know that if you read through the Bible, if you follow what God says, he gets you to do some really unusual things from time to time. But that's how it works. That's how the Word and the Spirit works. I hope that helps. So we, we do validate experiences, but we hold them lightly and we hold tightly to the general principles of Scripture. And so developing a biblical worldview means asking the Word of God questions about everything we see and experience. So we ask the Word of God questions about morality, questions about divorce, remarriage, world events, sin, angels and their function, healing and so on. And it's as we interrogate the Bible with these real-life issues, we begin to see firstly how enduring and relevant His Word is. It never goes out of date. There's nothing new being discovered, have you realised? Nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes say. And it lives, as we see these things, the word of God lives, it endures, and then it lives in us. So get that question into your thinking whenever something happens, world event. I mean, how many people have have noticed, for example, how many uh, interstellar amazing things have been going on about moons and suns and all kinds of things over the last five years? And then the Bible says, "You look, when you start seeing these happening, you're in the last days. <laughs> look to your Bible. What does the Bible say about all these strange things that are going on? Apparently, the, anyway, I won't go down that route. <laughs> but what does the Bible say about that? Get that question into your thinking. And having laid this foundation, here are the three steps I just want to share with you. Number one, read it. Can I have an amen for that amazing? Read it. That's about discipline and desire. Look, I know as well as anybody that Bible reading can be really hard work and even uninspiring, dare I dare, dare I say. I mean, the amount of times I've said to the Lord sitting there, do I really need to read this list of names? Do I really need to? Or what is all this about mildew? I mean... <laughs> I mean, what is that? How is it even relevant anymore? <laughs> anyway. But listen, discipline, firstly, is required for, for reading. A daily habit of just, just read the Bible. It doesn't matter how much you read. Really, it doesn't. It's not competition. If you only read one verse, I know somebody who just does the verse for a day. Verse for the day with a little explanation. Just read the Bible. Don't make it a qualitative thing. Just read it. Anyway, I hope you got that message. (laughs) This is not legalistic to say, as some would say, it's just common sense. Read the Bible. As Terry Virgo, he wrote really helpfully in his blog recently, he says, we need to discern the difference between legalism and discipline because a lot of people use this excuse for not reading the Bible regularly, you see. So... He says, legalism hopes to gain merit and earn points and prove your own worth. (coughs) Discipline helps you make good choices and become more fruitful. That is so good, isn't it? Well done, Terry. So legalism, you hope to gain merit and points, prove your own worth. Discipline helps you make good choices and become more fruitful. We discipline ourselves to read the Bible so that our lives become more fruitful. But at the same time, I want to say this, that discipline is just the starting place. 
We have to discipline ourselves, but it's only the starting place. It's where we position ourselves to receive something from him. So I would ask him, I do, I ask him, Lord, give me the desire. It's discipline and desire to read his word. Just like how I love him. Who loves God? Do you know you only love him because he first loved you? That's what the Bible says. You cannot love God in and of yourself. We can only love him because of the revelation of his love for us. So it's the same with the word of God. Lord, I don't love the Bible. I find it hard. Will you give me a love for your word? Will you give me the desire? Be honest. Give me the desire to do it. I mean, where else in the world do we get to sit down with the author of the book and ask him to explain it to us? How cool is that? So ask him to breathe his word over you, which is how all scripture came, and to give you the spirit of revelation and understanding, which Paul says we're going to need if we ever understand some of the stuff he wrote. So we can cultivate a desire for his word. So read it. That's the first thing. Secondly, learn it. This is about applying it to our lives. So this means I've read the Bible. Now what am I going to do about it? How is this going to shape the way that I think or change or the way that I live? And in terms of the way I think, one of the things, there's all kinds of ways you can access this. But if you do the Freedom in Christ course, you get a Who Am I in Christ uh, list, don't you? I've just found that really helpful. A really helpful way. Collating lists of themes together helps me to understand it and learn to apply it to my life. The other thing I found helpful is making declarations that are based on scripture. Uh, We've talked about that before, but I love to make declarations over my family, my own life, the church, and they've really helped me, declarations, to use the word of God more practically. Would you like an insight into what I pray over you? I'll just give you a little section because I don't want you to hear the whole lot. All right. But this is something I pray over you as a church regularly. I say, I speak into the church, Jubilee Church, a strong desire for corporate prayer, fasting, purity, and for the word of God in Jesus' name. I declare the revelation of the love of God that heals broken hearts and covers a multitude of sins and the powerful manifest presence of the Holy Spirit on every gathering. I call forth a spirit of forgiveness into the life of everyone and I release favor, integrity, humility and purity into every part of the church and I plead the blood of Jesus over every individual, every marriage and every family in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Whew, that felt really significant. I love you guys. Whew. So collating verses together, making declarations of prayers, these things really help us in applying the word of God. But also it's just reaching for the Bible in those difficult times. You know, when life doesn't work out, when it doesn't make sense, when we need comfort, encouragement, we struggle with sin or with disappointment, how about turning to the Bible next time? Just a suggestion. Make it your go-to place. Put it in your hands and in your thinking. Make it live with you as you go through life. And then thirdly, so what have we done so far? We've done read it, learn it, obey it. Obey it. This is about falling in love. 
This is about falling in love. You know, when we begin to engage with the word of God, we'll need to change the way that we think and start to live differently. (laughs) We need to obey what it says. And the Holy Spirit will help us with that, just in case the spirit people get nervous. He will help us with that. But this is where devotion to God and devotion to his word really come together. Because I said last time, love, devotion without love is just religion. And who wants that? But obedience comes from love, according to what Jesus said. So John chapter 14, verse 15 says, Jesus says, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. It's not about manipulation, it's about fruit. (laughs) It just comes out. The outcome of your love for me, he's saying, is obedience. Jesus says it in the opposite a couple of verses later. He says, He who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. There won't be any fruit if you don't love me. If you try and do it out of legalistic effort, you're not going to get the fruit. It's going to come out of love. So this means that a lack of obedience in a believer's life is not so much about an ability to follow the rules, but rather it's to do with a lack of love. I thought that was a really good point. Um, Thank you. There's one or two people agree. The Apostle John expands on this further in his letter he says this is the love this is love for god to obey his commands and his commands aren't hard work why because i want to do what he says because i love him it's apostle john so our motivation for obedience must be love this is how we avoid legalism and the unending cycle of failure in the model of rule making and rule breaking in obedience i obey him because i love him and I love him because he loves me. He loves me so much. Could sing that song again, couldn't we? But look, if you're struggling with your obedience, make your focus his love, not your sin. Because as soon as you get sin on your mind, that's all you can think about. When you start to fall in love with him again, the sin just gets dealt with. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his face and catch his love heart for you. Have you ever looked into those eyes from the book of Revelation that are flaming with fire? It's just full of love for you. He loves you. Amen. Let me conclude. The word of God is important and significant. We need to be devoted to him. His words are breathed out and give us life. They even sustain the universe. And there are consequences for not valuing it, but incredible benefits if we do. Joshua says, God's words will prosper us and give us success in all our ways. The psalmist tells us that the word is a lamp to our feet. It gives us direction and stops us from stumbling. But reading and studying alone is not enough. His word needs to govern our lives, even to shape our worldview. And I think revival depends upon it. The Bible is the story of God's love for us. We need to read it to learn it and obey it because of our love for him. And the the exhortation today isn't a legalistic banging you on the head and making you feel bad about... I haven't read my Bible much this week, although I don't know why you haven't when we've seen how amazing it is. But that's not the point. It's about falling in love again. Fall in love with him. Fall in love with his word. We must devote ourselves to what he says. 
because of our devotion to him. Amen.